What's up, everyone? Welcome to the season finale of Academics and Amigos. We have a season down. Season one, it's done. Oh my gosh, I can't believe we've gone through this journey together. And ladies and gentlemen, we're ending on a high note. I have a, another fantastic guest with me this week, Dr. Frederick Luis Aldama, who is an accomplished scholar who has done amazing work in relation to Latinx representation and identity within popular culture. And so he's somebody I look up to greatly. And you'll hear that throughout this episode. And you'll hear that I am incredibly nervous when interviewing him because of how much I um, look up to him. So without further ado, let's get into this episode because this is a long intro. So let's get into it. Let's go. What's up, everyone? How's it going? Welcome to another episode of Academics and Amigos. And you all have no idea how excited I am for this next episode. This next person, this next guest of mine is a distinguished professor slash scholar at, the, at Ohio State University, an Eisner award-winning author, which is a huge deal if you're into comic books. Um, it's like the Oscars of comic books. So that's like a huge deal. Um, he's an author and editor of 30 plus books, including his new children's book, The Adventures of Chupacabra Charlie, which we will be talking about a little bit later today. And also he's a founder and director of a Latinx outreach program called Laser and also a coordinator and founder, I believe, of the Soul Con Comics Expo, which highlights um, brown and black representation within comic books, which I think is fantastic. Okay. So with that being said, this is Dr. Frederick Luis Aldama. And Dr. Aldama, it is a true pleasure and honor to be interviewing you today. Well, hey, man, the pleasure is all mine. I'm just so happy to be here with you, Anthony, and shaking things up all over the, the country. Definitely, definitely. And what are your thoughts on everything that's going on right now, Dr. Aldama? Oh, man. Yeah, speaking of all over the country, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so we've got lockdowns and then we've got people that don't believe in what's going on, misbehaving, that's going to set us all back um, and prevent young folk like you, young Latinxes from, you know, having access to those spaces, the university spaces in person, um, you know, our members of our familia, you know, working in the post offices and grocery stores getting you know the front lines getting sick it's a it's a honestly it's a big mess um at the same time there's a lot of people coming together to push against all of the forces that have put us kind of in this situation in the first place so i'm i'm anxious i'm worried i um a lot more than i, I usually am but at the same time i see um, real empowerment across racial divides in ways that I haven't seen before. Yes, sir. I, I agree. I always like to have a hopeful stance on things as well. And I believe that through all, through everything that's going on, something positive will come out of it. And um, it's, it's a heavy time in a, mul in a multitude of ways, you know. Um, but let, let's talk, uh, let's, let's, let's change the subject a little bit. Let's focus, let's, let's talk about um, I've, I've always been interested, especially like with your, your, your giant CV, you have a long CV of awesome scholarly work. And I was just curious, like, what made you interested in pursuing an academic career? And when did you start focusing on Latinx representation and popular culture and comic studies? And who are some of the scholars um, that inspired you 
um, during your time as a student? Because like I mentioned to you before, uh, prior to recording this, you have been a huge inspiration to me and to the work that I've, um, I'm currently working on. So I was curious at the, you know, since comic studies and popular culture studies are fairly new within academia, who were some of those people that inspired you? Yeah, so thanks, Anthony, for the uh, question. You know, I mean, it, like many of us coming from, you know, blue collar working class kind of backgrounds, um, you know, a lot of the pressure is when you get into college, which is all kind of almost a miracle even today for us, um, and it was definitely that way for me, um, is to go and become like, you know, you got to be an engineer or you got to be a doctor or something. And so, you know, I got into Berkeley. I am a proud uh, recipient and kind of, you know, yeah, success story of like affirmative action. I, th I, I was really upset when they took that away. Um, it gave a lot of us access that didn't. Um, it gave a lot of us that were, you know, had gone through a system that was very under-resourced um, an opportunity. I'm just happy, well, that is back actually in the Cal system, but yeah, I ended up at Berkeley and um, I was a pre-med and I was pretty miserable. I stuck with it for a year um, and realized that, you know, actually what I really wanted to do was be that professor up there doing what they do. So I had to kind of figure out what that meant. Like, what do you do to become that person, right? Because we don't really talk about that in our communities. And, you know, we have teachers and stuff, but we don't have professors. So there was a, right around 1990, uh, there was a professor who was on a postdoc, finishing up his postdoc, um, Alfred Arteaga, um, the late Alfred Arteaga, who became a poet and a scholar and was a big inspiration um, for me and a role model. Someone who decided to write books that he wanted to write and to also be a creator and creative person as a Latinx. Um, and, you know, he was like huge. Um, and he also never said no, like to me, he was like, yeah, let's do it. You can do it, you know? Um, so I, at that time, the big kind of door for me was studying literature. Um, and then also a little bit of film. I was, I worked with Mario Barrera in his, as a TA for his Chicano film class for like, I don't know how many film classes I did for him. Um, another big inspiration to me that you could, you know, be, you could study this stuff. And grad school, I knew I probably needed to just do the regular kind of dissertation on literature. It was a, it was a dissertation that looked at um, Chicanx, Latinx authors, as well as um, some post-colonial authors. And once I was a professor and I got that um, dissertation, which I revised into a book done, I knew that was it. Like I'm, I can put a bunch of that stuff aside and actually go to the real, passion and interest, which was comics. And so I, I jumped in and, um, and, and wrote research and wrote the Your Brain on Latino Comics, which, you know, really kind of launched my um, career, my professional career mm. in that direction. And as you know, I've done a lot of work in that area since. Mm. Yeah. And I've, I've read those books. I've also read Latinx superheroes from you and uh, real Latinx from you and uh, and that you did with Dr. Gonzalez and all of them are phenomenal books. And, you know, I, I love that work that you all do in terms of uh, Latinidad. And, mm. uh, you know, I think that, that you're just, you know, pushing, you know, you push, you're pushing that, that, um, that the the ceiling for us like for future comic scholars and popular scholars for uh, co popular culture scholars 
um, for us. You know, you're, you're pushing those boundaries for us to expand this. And so with that being said, what do you believe is the future of comic book and popular culture uh, studies? And do you believe that academia as a whole will, you know, be more accepting and take this type of uh, scholarship um, more seriously? Yeah, I don't know how long it'll take the kind of old guard in the academy to catch up, but I can tell you this, and you know this even from your firsthand experience, the vitality of you know, university studies is a clearing a space where we are actively involved with the world. And the world is pop culture. And, you know, the way, you know, you and your, po- your video cast podcast can reach out and talk to a creator, a director, uh, an actor, um, an artist, you know, and bring them into this space and kind of elevate the conversation and enrich our understanding of how this stuff works in the world in our everyday lives, every minute of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, if we if the academy doesn't wake up to the fact that this is the real vital scholarly space today and tomorrow, well, we're just going to leave them behind, man. Yes, sir. No, I totally agree. And I've always felt that both comic books and popular culture are a testament of our time. You know, especially the way comic books are written, like um, when Stan Lee wrote X-Men in order to discuss civil rights you know, uh, or to, to, you know, even with uh, other comics discussing about drugs or AIDS or other situations like that too, you know, or even gay marriage now or LGBTQ related um, issues, which I, what I think is interesting. And even subject matters like uh, immigration and border issues and, and, and subject matters like that. I think that comic writers are, you know, one, they're paying attention to what's going on, which is fantastic. And two, I think that they're showcasing that, hey, these stories need to be told. But I think that, you know, as you constantly say within your work, this representation needs to be pushed further. And so with that being said, what do you believe is, do you believe that there's been an improvement within popular culture in terms of Latinx representation? And what do you think could be done even further? Yeah. So, you know, I think that, yeah, with, okay, this is a great question in so many different ways. One, the more, the more money is involved in the reconstruction of, you know, reality, the less interesting it tends to be. Mm-hmm. Um, there are some exceptions like Black Panther MCU, you know, um, um, you know, a lot of money, but it did some really important work. Um, Coco, you know, oh, we, we can we can be critical of it, but it did some good work, right? Um, sure. And etc. But for the most part, the more you have producers, the more you have money risk, the less um, the less interesting it is because people don't want to take risks, so-called risks. Mm-hmm. It's really not. But mm-hmm. um, and I mentioned that because comics today are like especially from you know latinx communities african-american communities are kind of just going nuts and you know the social media platforms um ways to find audiences grow audiences educate audiences 
um, is no longer in the power in the hands of just a few, right? Mm -hmm. So comics today coming out of the Latinx comics, cre you know, creative communities is like going gangbusters, man, mm -hmm. and all sorts of stories and complicating all sorts of ways that Latinidad has been typically very mm -hmm. narrowly represented for us. Um, so we have Latinxes, we have, you know, Guatemala, like um, Mexicana, you know, Puerto, Rican, uh, Puerto Rican, uh, et cetera, creators telling their stories. Um, the same kind of goes for streaming platforms like Netflix and stuff, and even YouTube, mm -hmm. um, right? Some of the best, like really creative, um, uh, complex comedies, comedy is ha happening on YouTube. Like Eric Rivera's comedy mm -hmm. stuff is just like off the hook, right? Mm -hmm. It speaks to us, but then it like, it doesn't um, demean us. It's like elevates all of us. And at the same time, like we're laughing, you know, we're laughing with him. Right. Sure. And um, so, you know, YouTube, all that stuff. And so like, yeah, we've got like hintified, we've got one day at a time. We have, you know, all sorts of stuff coming out that is really complicating instead of fixing only one idea of Latinidad, it's really kind of giving us a spectrum. That said, Anthony, there's still, you know, um, you know, I just wrote a piece on Love Victor and a Hulu show. And, um, you know, you got white showrunners sort of involved in that. And they, you know, in the end, um, make a whole bunch of like goofs and <laughs> it, it's like we're still doing that it's like mm -hmm. you know um so yeah we have to have our eyes wide open there's a lot of changes a lot of vitality a lot of amazing things happening especially you know in and through these platforms that we just talked about um, but at the same time there's still kind of business as usual stuff happening do you believe that with the the movements like Black Lives Matter that that will change a lot of studios' perspectives um, in in any ways either in terms of like okay we see that we need representation in various fronts but also including media and popular culture so do you believe that you know with these movements like Black Lives Matter that it will change perceptions of maybe some of these studios or publishers or anything like that? You know, I think the, yeah, well, I mean, that's our hope, right? That it's Definitely. a deep, yeah, deep, yeah. deep change. Um, usually what we've seen is a kind of Oprah Winfrey effect. So, you know, pick a couple to show that you've done your the good deed. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, you make your couple of picks of, you know, um, African-American creators, writers, etc. You showcase them, you put a bunch of money behind them and and then you're done. Um, and then, you know, once they stop selling, um, maybe you'll go pick another one or two, or maybe not because people might not be paying attention. Right. I think what we, um, you know, that's capitalism, you know, mm -hmm. capitalism works. It, 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 it works by throwing out a bunch of stuff. Um, and then whatever sticks it kind of runs with it's the DC mm -hmm. model, right? DC right. loves to like, we're going to do like, you know, um, a reboot of, you know, um, you know, the new, new vibe as Latinx. We're going to okay. do a reboot of this and that. And when the sales don't meet what they, their expectations and they just disappear. Yeah. Um, so, 
Yeah, I mean, I'm hopeful. The other thing I think this moment demands of us is for us to look within and look at our own communities and look at the racism also within the Latinx communities and our families. Um, you know, there, you know, there's a lot of prejudice, man. And as you know, we've inherited a kind of colonial thinking about um, skin color, about, you know, um, our roots, um, what's better, what's, you know, not so good, et cetera. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in our families, I can tell you, I can point to my family. Um, you know, I have a tia who's very, very much, you know, um, with her skin tone and her and her hair um, texture. She's Afro Latina, but nobody mm -hmm. talks about that. Nobody. It's almost like the family has erased that history that we have. Mm -hmm. So we need to go back in our families as well. I think the Black Lives Matter movement is an important move, moment uh, and movement for us to kind of go back into our lives and our families and our communities and really kind of start pushing awareness about our own internalized colonialism. Definitely. And that, that's, that's wonderful that you mentioned that. Like, I remember reading your The Real Latinx's book and you mentioned that as well, that within within the Latino, you know, I guess, spectrum for, I guess, lack of a better term, but that we, we come in different skin tones, you know, we have, there are people who are Afro-Latinos, Latinxes, um, mm -hmm. people, people who are mestizo. And you mm -hmm. mentioned in that book that, you know, within, within film and even in other forms of representation in popular culture, that the lighter skinned um, individual or Latinx uh, individual will be the one who gets forefronted in comparison to maybe the mestizo uh, uh, individual. Yeah, yeah. Um, so that's a great, you know, someone needs, maybe Anthony, this could be a project for you, but someone really needs to write about um, Demi Lovato. Mm -hmm. Because I, you know, she is a fighter. Mm -hmm. And what I love about her is that the Disney machine tried to um, erase her body, her, you know, her mestizaje, right? And, um, and in fact, she got sick, very sick from it. And right. at a certain point, she said, no, I'm going to be who I am. And this kind of moment, this kind of chrysalis moment, this rebirth and empowerment that we see with her in the last year or so, total embrace of who she is. Mm -hmm. And that kind of health, at, at least, you know, the, the visible health that we see of that right positionality. And I, you know, it, people don't understand representation matters. Representation can and does make us sick and we need to take a step back and look at it carefully. We need to take a step back and look at how we have been shaped by it. And then take, we need to take ownership of who we are and love who we are. Definitely. Definitely. I think those are fantastic points. And um, definitely, I think like, like you mentioned, Disney has really, 
when it comes to people of color, it seems like they kind of are, even in cartoons and animated form, um, they really kind of whitewash things to make it like digestible for general audiences. And I think Coco is one of the few exceptions where they, they really did try to, um, you know, showcase Latinidad a little bit better which is good you know because i think that they did a lot of things right and as you mentioned too there's a little bit that they could have done a little bit better you know but i think it's a it's a it's a positive step forward you know mm-hmm. i like to i like to think of it in that sense and um mm-hmm. i even remember when when they and i think you even mentioned this in your book too when when they wanted to copyright dia de, lo, dia de los muertos or dia de muertos that they you know there was so much pushback there was so much pushback because mm-hmm. it's like hey you're taking a piece of our culture away from us you know that's yeah yeah crazy that they even had the like that they didn't even think twice about it like mm-hmm. somehow that they could co-opt and own a very important kind of cultural sort of tradition right in our mm-hmm. communities was crazy but what's like you said you know something positive came out of it lalo, lalo. alcaraz right with his muerto mouse was like mm-hmm. screw this and then there was a big push against it mm-hmm. um and you know lalo later got tapped by the studio and brought in to educate them um you know make sure they were getting things right um he wasn't the only one but um he's um, one of the kind of bigger figures and that's why coco you don't have the abuelita throwing a spoon which is what she did like a big wooden spoon she's throwing a chancla right and like you know things like that that make a difference and that's why like our families and then our families' families went back again and again, our families in Mexico, our families here. And so, yeah, it makes a difference. Definitely. Yeah. The, the fact that things can resonate with us is powerful. That, that's, that's like you mentioned earlier, representation matters because of that. I love when something is able to resonate with me, whether it's a comic book, a television show, a movie, and, and in a lot of my research too, I'm always asking for that. I'm always asking, I want a comic book to resonate with me. I want characters to have that. I want to see a character that looks like me, that, that talks like me, that is bilingual, that uses Spanglish, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, does all these things, you know? Um, like, mm-hmm. And so I'm constantly asking, when are we going to get that in terms of mainstream comic books? Because I'm happy and I'm so proud of uh, the Latinx independent community because they're doing such amazing work. And I know that you highlight this a lot and you showcase a lot, this a lot too in your research and even just throughout your social media presence. And, and you know, when do you think that, you know, these mainstream publishers mm. like DC, like Marvel are going to take note of this and be like, hey, you know what? We need some of these authors like Javier Hernandez or, mm. or uh, some of these other authors that are doing fantastic work like Jay Gonzo and put mm-hmm. him into the illustration front or even some of the writing front because of like, like the Luchador comic that he did, Mano del Sino, was amazing. It was so cool. The artwork mm-hmm. is beautiful. The writing mm-hmm. was fantastic. We need mm-hmm. authors like this. So what, what's your perspective on that, Dr. Lama? Yeah. So, you know, one thing that we need um, in general is in this country that other countries have, we need a kind of unified voice. I'm not talking about a union, um, but we need, we need something with te- teeth um, 
Um, now, David Bowles, as you know, did this with um, Miriam and uh, Roberto and others with after that American Dirt um, novel came out. Mm, yes, and yes. they created that kind of unified, um, it, sort of in solidarity, literaria uh, dignidad. And they kind of, you know, went out and protested outside of, you know, the big publisher and got the attention. And there was some change that was made, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, staffing and edit editors and a promise to publish X number of works by Latinos. Um, David didn't have to do that. Like he's an extremely successful uh, author. You know, he's got, he's got 13th Street with Harper Collins and he's, you know, the guy, but you know, that, that's what's required, but on a larger scale for the big people to take note. Um, what you're talking about, Anthony, is like we, what we're saying is we want our Wakanda. Definitely. You know, yes, we want our Wakanda and, you know, we have it. We have the material. I mean, yeah. imagine like White Tiger. That would be so cool. <sighs> like, you know, Boricua, like kick ass, totally down, smart and like, wow. Like, you know, we have a whole catalog, as you know, from my superhero book. Um, that we could kind of pull from the the risk the so-called risk guys are the gatekeepers and yes, so until we like break down you know, the gates and break down yeah the you know there was a you know Ivan Velez Jr. Um, who used to write for Milestone and he wrote for Marvel and he's an independent creator um, you know they put him in charge of Ghostwriter you know I'm talking a couple decades ago and he tried to give Ghostwriter back then a Boricua kind of origin story and they, they killed it. They're like, no, it's not going to happen. And he got so frustrated at every turn. So, you know, they brought in someone from kind of independent, really smart, great writer. And he tried to do some stuff within the space and they just crushed it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's a, I think it's a combination, you know, we do our work, raise awareness, we um, dollar power, um, but then also putting pressure on these conglomerates to bring in creators, like you were saying, behind mm -hmm. cameras, in front of cameras, but also in the writing studios, workshops, all that stuff. Um, so it has to be very active. We're not gonna we're not gonna see it unless it's like a big kind of unified front. Mm -hmm. Now the BLM, Black Lives Matter, has been important in lots of very very significant ways. But the way this country continues to think about race mm -hmm. and issues around race is mm -hmm. still a black and white. Mm -hmm polarity and the brown is not really brought into the conversation you know lynchings along the border that we have that long history as you know you're in El Paso um, the constant um, profiling the deaths as a result of skin color look etc that are happening in our communities um, pr police brutality and surveillance that doesn't really get the attention and I'm not saying we need to div be divided, we need to be sharing that this is the same kind of systemic racism is affecting our communities as well. Absolutely, absolutely. I've all, like I follow an Instagram page 
I believe it's called Brown Spaces or, or something to that extent. And they've been highlighting, you know, uh, about Vanessa Guillen. And also about earlier today, actually, I read about a palatero that was shot. And, you know, we hear about George Floyd and all these other people who have been affected. And as you mentioned, we need to create this unification of all minorities that mm -hmm. this happens to all races, you know, even white people, you know, and, and, and this is something that we all need to come together in and discuss and say like, okay, this stuff needs to be highlighted because, you know, we, we all are important. We're all humans and we're all people. We're all in this together. You know, this is something that we're all facing. Now, if we have like, we have a, you know, I'll just say it for what it is, a president who starts, you know, tweeting that we need to close borders because, you yeah. know, we're, we're terrorists. Um, we're a kind of a brown horde threatening to invade. Um, and then you realize that the very images that he is um, referring to Mm -hmm. come directly from a movie like Sicario, mm -hmm. uh, we realize just how damaging a representation, a very narrow, fixed yes, representation of brown people is. Yes, and, well, we see it every day, man. Yes, sir. And li I literally, like, live five minutes away from the border. And so, um, similar to the X on your shirt, there's a giant red X on, um, like, out in front of my house that you can see at the little tip. Of. Um, it's, uh, they call it the Equis. And they had, like, they have a little stage there. And um, there's a park that you can drive up to. And you can see the Equis, like, right there. And it's just interesting just how, like, the border is. And, and I remember, like, like, speaking about, like, Trump and the wall, like, I remember when they were building up that fence even more. I was just like, they're just reinforcing what's already there. But mm -hmm. the thing about Mexicans and Latin the Latinx community is that we're so innovative that we're going to find mm -hmm. a way to get around that, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's just, you know, being a person that's grown up with it, it's, it's um, and, and seeing on the news about these children, these families that are in cages and stuff, it's mm -hmm. just... It's, it's, yeah, I love that you brought up the Equis because, you know, we're, uh, we are like, we will find a way and yes, the, that like, you know, the paths, we will, we'll cross it no matter what, we'll figure mm -hmm. it out. Um, and, um, but yeah, and the, the cages, yeah. Um, and then of course, you know, um, my, my kid's book all about that. I, I I really would love to talk about that because um first of all let me congratulate you on that like it's it's doing really well and I can't wait to purchase it myself um and I, it's something that I'm really excited about and so I remember that you were mentioning it to me too like we had an earlier conversation and you mentioned to me too um a while back before it was um released out to uh, um published and so I was curious about what inspired you to want to write a children's book and include a chupacabra as a title character? Because I thought the fact that you included a chupacabra is so cool because of the folklore that's behind it. Um, but I want to know, what was your thought process behind it? Yeah, no, that's great, Anthony. Um, so, you know, there's so many levels here, but one, I, you know, I read, I've read a lot of kids' books. I have a 13-year-old, um, so there was a moment when I was, you know, reading a lot of kids' books. And, um, you know, you go to the library, one, they were not there. 
Like none of our stories are there. None of our mythologies, you know, Grimm's fairy tales has been, you know, how many times can we do Cinderella? You know, it's like <laughs> right. um, that story and everything. Right. So um, Hansel and Gretel and all that. Um, mm-hmm. So that was one thing, like we're just not in those spaces and what, what we take home in the stack of books, you know, is usually, well, a it's our, our kids and our stories aren't in them, but also, um they're really um kind of dumbing down the intelligence of kids and the emotional complexities and capacities Mm -hmm. you know why can't we have an adventure story that hits on some real stuff Mm -hmm. some tough stuff that the kid can ask the parent about when they're reading this together you know our uh, waking doesn't have to happen in high school or college. It should start happening already when we're little ones and in a way that's still exciting for them where they want to ask the questions, you know? Um, I didn't realize that like, you know, the human, the migra is the monster and the chupacabra is actually like the cool, like humanitarian. Right. And um, so, yeah, that, and then also I, when I was a kid, I loved the monsters, you know, mm-hmm. that was my thing. And, um, I had, uh, I used to, you know, invent lots of like imaginary stories and characters in my brain. And one of them was, um, a little monster who flew a pickle powered Hickenbacker, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of like this cool flying machine. And he would go around and like have these adventures and that always stuck with me. I knew I wanted a pickle powered something. As you'll know, as you'll see when, when you read the book, it's an Impala and it does fly. Um, and uh, it's, um, and, and so, you know, for me on a d- couple of different levels, the monster was really important because, you know, they're not scary. And especially in our communities, yeah, we get the chupacabra stories told to us because, you know, later we figure out that our parents don't want us to go out at night, like, you know, the, the uh, La Llorona story and all that. But really, um, I don't know. They, they're not, they're not like scary, bloody, deathly, like Grimm's fairy tales kind of scary, right? They're part of our life and our culture. Mm -hmm. And, so I'm like, yeah, so he's going to be, he's not going to have fangs because he's a vegetarian, yeah, I like you that. know, yeah. and you know, the, the family, um, well, you'll see it's, it's a really fun, exciting. He's really smart. He, mm-hmm. he learns his dad teaches him all sorts of like art and science. And then he wants to go on an adventure and like, it's just like really crazy cool stuff. And why not have as their big kind of moment, the, you know, using of after they cross the wall um they use this magical silver key to open these cages and free all of the children um you know um we get stories like that all the time um but never with that kind of resonance of like what's happening to our communities and our families so it was a real burning passionate kind of um project for me i think that's awesome i i I love i love the subject matter and I love the fact they use the this folklore character. I think that's fantastic. That includes, you know, Latinidad and all these cultural values and cultural history and just, you know, the space itself and environment and space. And I think that, you know, that becomes a character in itself, the, the space, um, mm. especially within the border. 
I, I, I've always felt that that's a space and a character within itself because of the culture behind border. And, mm-hmm. and on a little bit of a different note too, all my family are educators. My mom's a retired kindergarten teacher and pre-K teacher and elementary school teacher. My aunt is a fifth grade um, teacher. And I have a 12-year-old, no, 12-year-old, uh, fi- about to be 15-year-old cousin who is is in that woke culture right now, too. So, I, you know, when you were describing this book, I couldn't help but think of my family and how much that resonated with me, too, in just in the way you're describing your book. And as 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 an educator on a different level and as my uh, seeing my family as educator, I think that this would be a fantastic book for them. You know, and for them to share, um, you know, one, because I'm a border kid and they're educators on the border. And just so we can showcase representation like we have been discussing throughout this whole conversation that one to showcase like, hey, there's kids like me in these books, you know, because if if kids can see this at an early age, imagine what they're going to say, think when they're a little bit older and like, man, I remember this kid, this book as a kid I used to love because looking back at it i have these conversations with my childhood friends and i tell them you all remember this book called the stinky cheese man or books like that mm-hmm. and and then now you're going to have that impact dr Adama, with your book you're going to be able to uh, like kids are going to be like you remember chupacabra charlie i remember that and it's just going to be like oh that's powerful you know and the fact that you're doing something like this to, uh, for for our youth and for children i i you know i can't thank you enough for that you know um i think that's really cool yeah, well, I'll make sure we get some copies over to um, your mom and stuff for sure. Oh, I'm definitely going to buy some copies and um, that way they can they can have it there in their libraries. The one thing I was really uh, wanting to do, so I, I kind of poured a bunch of my own funds into it. I wanted this, you know, because kids books, man, are expensive. They're like 20, 25 bucks when they first get published. I'm like that's not going to happen in our communities, you know? Sure. So we've, uh, you know, I've been with the, working closely with the publisher, um, you know, it's less than 10 bucks. So yeah, it's, it's, I'm hoping it'll continue to, you know, with your help and everybody who's so supportive, just really like, you know, make its way into the spaces that it needs to be in. So for those who are interested in buying uh, the adventures of Chupacabra Charlie, where can people buy uh, your children's book, Dr. Lama? Yeah, so Amazon is an easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like right around nine bucks. Um, and then the um, publisher, OSU Press, mm-hmm. has it even cheaper. I think it's like eight bucks. Um, oh, awesome. Um, and they're both free shipping. So yeah, that, those are the best, best um, spaces to go to for it. That's awesome. Like, I'm, I'm super excited about that. And I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, being able to read it. You know what I did? Uh, I'm working with Denise Chavez, the, the author there. Um, she's pretty close to you. She's in Las Cruces. Um, oh, yeah. And she runs, a, um, she runs this program of getting books she can't get them into the ICE centers, the detention centers, but mm-hmm. she can get them to families, asylum uh, families, mm-hmm. and that are outside of those detention spaces. And um, so <clears throat> I'm going to, I'm shipping her a bunch of these books to get them over to the families and stuff. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Um, maybe we can get in contact and see if we can work together while I'm in town. It'd be That'd awesome be to do that. 
Um, so I guess my final question for you, Dr. Lama, with all the amazing work that you've produced and even now with Chupacabra Charlie, what's next for you? <laughs> yeah, that's great. So Chupacabra Charlie um, is the first in a, an adventure series. Mm -hmm. And the next one um, is Coco La Cuca, The Adventures of Coco La Cuca. And um, she's really cool. This um, She's kind of um, half human, half beastie, um, who's a synesthete. She, so she smells color well. and she, she tastes, um, she tastes things that you normally would feel, mm -hmm. um, um, et cetera. And she comes into a kind of superpower, um, with the help of, um, a buddy of hers, her sidekick and, they go on an adventure that involves were jaguars and the luchesa uh where kind of werewolf um stuff and um anyway that's we are we're working on that right now i have another graphic novel called labyrinths born which is actually it'll be finished this summer and it's oddly kind of reflective even though i st started writing it way before of what's going on there's a moment when suddenly like there's a reset button and only young people are left uh pretty much on the planet mm. it's a pandemic that hits wow. called the event and it's a story really about how these young people kind of you know um, and again it's along in the border in the southwest um use their creativity and their brains to kind of reboot the system and you know make these really exciting interesting new societies mm -hmm. um so those are a couple of those um and then of course there's always the scholar scholarly work that i'm doing on comics and um you know publishing of latinx creators in my latino graphics series um the chupacabra charlie right now i'm writing as an animated film wow um, so cool and, yeah, I've got a, a studio from Mexico that's going to be making that for me. Mm -hmm. So that will go into production next week. And so we should have a Chupacabra Charlie cartoon by Christmas. Wow, that's awesome. That's so cool. I love that you use all these different avenues to uh, showcase um, your work and also to um, educate others, you know, by using like transmedia in order to tell stories and to. Um, and like I said, educate. I think that is so cool. Like I, one of the things too that I've noticed um, with your with your classes and some of your work is that you'll have uh, these really cool uh, poster, kind of like the ones that uh, like the background they have by Jay Gonzo, or like mm -hmm. some of the book covers that you do. And I'm just like, wow, that is so cool. I would love to be in the class like that just because of the poster, you know, and also <laughs> and the subject matter too, you know. Um, yeah. And just, um, I, I'm super excited for all the work that you've been doing, Dr. Aldama, and the work that you're continuing to do. And um, before, uh, before we end our conversation, though, I want to know, um, where are some places that people can find you? Really easy, right? So Professor Latinx or Latina, you know, wherever we want to go with that, um, <laughs> .osu.edu, but everywhere, my social media um, if you just punch that in, that's, you know, you'll find me. It comes up super fast. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so 
again, thank you so much for taking time to talk with me and to have this awesome conversation about so many interesting subjects that both you and I care about so passionately and deeply about. And again, congratulations on Chupacabra Charlie. That's, I'm sorry. Thanks, excited. Anthony. Well, what can I say, man? It's like, um, I do this stuff because I'm, I'm passionate about it, um, but I do this stuff and I, I become even more passionate about it, impassioned because of you, man, you and others like you, the new generations that are coming up and the energy you bring and the questions and the curiosity and the creativity. And um, so it's, it's this kind of awesome symbiotic kind of thing that we, we do, right? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you, Anthony. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dr. Adama. I appreciate you. Again, thanks so much to Dr. Frederick Luis Aldama for being a guest on this season finale of Academics and Amigos. Again, we ended on a high note, my friends, my amigos, my academics out there. So, again, thank you all to, for the support on this fun project of mine and this, you know, just being able to tell the stories and hearing the stories of all these friends and people I look up to so um, greatly. So... Again, it's been a wonderful journey, and I look forward to season two. So I'll be on hiatus for a little bit, but we'll be back very soon in September. So again, season one is in the books. So if you haven't had a chance to check out past episodes, check them out. Follow us on all the social media accounts, and until next time, be cool, be safe, and stay awesome.